What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with another Data Protection Gumbo episode, and this one is titled How Backup Has Changed for Kubernetes. And to drop some knowledge for us today, I have Gu Rao, co-founder and CTO of Portworks on the podcast. And prior to founding Portworks, Gu was executive director and CTO at Dell, where he ran their data protection division. And he has a wealth of experience as a two-time prior founder, having sold both of his companies, Ocarina Networks and Net6. So Gumbo listeners, Gu will be talking about how this digital transformation is accelerating and why data center workflows are evolving into first-class application citizens and what's the best way to protect Kubernetes containers when we get back from thanking our sponsors. You'll never be immune to cyber attacks, but you can bring your A-game. With the secret secure backup technology, you become too tough and costly to crack, compelling threat actors to move on to easier prey. Gain the advantage today. Visit Asegra.com for your low cost, easy to use, and hard to hack backups. Welcome to the Gumbo Goo. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me, Demetrius. All right. So I am thrilled to have you on the show. So let's go ahead and start with your experience running, let's say, enterprise data protection divisions like Dell. So speaking to the CIO and CTO Gumbo listener, what advice would you give to them now since we are in this new normal to the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a little hard to extrapolate what my experience would have been because when I was at Dell, right, clearly we were not in this kind of pandemic situation. My role as the CTO, uh, even now at Portworks and certainly then at Dell, was really around, um, you know, communicating the product roadmap and the requirements to the internal engineering teams. And, uh, you know, a lot of that involved, you know, going and meeting people. And Dell was a obviously being a very large enterprise, but also a very distributed organization, especially the data protection group. We had, you know, divisions in India, on, on the East Coast, in, in Virginia, in uh, obviously Texas, and then a large division here in California. Mm-hmm. So I really relied on that face time with my teams and also by the face times with meeting customers. What I would advise, I guess, and what I would do in such a large organization now is is rely at, as much as possible on, um, you know, keeping the communication channels open. Mm-hmm. It's kind of easy to sort of get lost into uh, your own grind of things and just keep working on what you're doing and lose track of the larger group of engineers out there that kind of rely on you for that direction. Making sure you don't lose that, I think, is is something that I would do. Um, you know, right. and and Portworks, we are here. Are, we're a distributed company as well. Um, not nearly anywhere as large as Dell, but uh, we, you know, we've had to keep track of similar things through the COVID era. You know, we make sure that we utilize tools like Zoom and all of that efficiently, keeping the channels very wide and open. Um, obviously, in a smaller team, it's a little bit easier to manage that kind of communication, though. Okay. COVID-19 definitely has propelled us into a, a new era where, you know, you can't get that FaceTime that you normally would get, and it, that would be so valuable. Like, 
like a team outing event or even just sitting in the same office as, as your team, right? To kind of build that camaraderie. Exactly. And, you know, work kind of falls in a couple of different buckets, right? You're either kind of supporting your product or you're, um, you know, mm-hmm. adding some incremental features to the product. And I think those kind of things are fine. When you're designing net new um, uh, IP or um, a major component of the product or a major feature, um, you know, for example, in, in this day and age, right, again, from my days at Dell, uh, certainly cloud was important, but nowhere near as critical be as it is today. So, um, and, and in, in the cloud, right, you know, to the requirements are rapidly changing. There's a lot, lot of innovation happening. You know, you, you lose that out when, by, by not be, you know, meeting with your team face to face, meeting with the key designers face to face and, and having that whiteboard session is always critical. So it does become harder to develop and design brand new features. Um, but you just have to kind of, um, um make yeah. the best of what it is, but pay extra attention to that. So the last thing you want to do is, uh, in your mind as the CTO, you have an idea of what the feature should look like, but you're doing a poor job in communicating that. And then, you know, the design teams go off and come back a couple of months later, and it's nowhere near what you had thought about. That, those kind of things can get very costly. I think one other thing that I would recommend or advise, especially in this, in the COVID era, is especially when teams are working remote, mm-hmm. I am a big fan of faster, smaller iterations. So keep the milestones, you know, not uh, shorter apart than you would have. Um, have uh, more frequent touch points. Uh, I'm a big fan of starting from any de- any any product design that I'm doing. I tell my teams, mm-hmm. I like to look at the user experience first um, and start top down instead of bottoms up. Um, I like to look at what it what what a product or a feature would look breadth wise horizontally, end to end, what workflows it accomplishes first before I actually see a lot of code and and um, you know. Mm-hmm effort put into actually building it. Mm. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds like some great advice. And just where we are right now, I think Zoom had like a record quarter and it was like an astronomical game because everyone is now digital and streaming, you know, even our children, you know, everyone's home and they're <laughs> everyone's a- attached to some type of device, right? So we're, we're definitely full on in this digital transformation and also data center workflows seem to be involving into, let's say, these first-class application citizens. So it, it's all about being nimble and giving the application the agility and freedom to deliver, let's say, that unprecedented quality back to the business. So what is your vision around containers and the role that they play or the role that they will play in the next few years? Container-based technologies, right? Not just containers, but container-based technologies, at least definitely from Portworx's vantage point, because you know our ecosystem sort of revolves around Kubernetes and cloud-native workflows. But uh, it, these, over the past, I would say, six, seven years, it has really hockey uh, stick curved into being front and center for an enterprise's you know, transformation in, in their, not just data center, but in how they develop and design their applications that are important to their business. And why is this, right? So if you just take a step back and look at what is all, what is all this excitement around containers and, and uh, really the, the core difference is, um, and this is how I rationalize it and how I talk to it about our customers and, and internally, mm-hmm. what is happening is enterprises are realizing that the most important asset in their data center are not machines. It's the applications and the logic that's running their infrastructure. So 
So what you're seeing is that enterprises are transforming from a machine-centric control plane or a machine-driven business to an application-driven business. So let me just double-click on that. What I mean by that is up until the advent of container-based technologies, the predominant control plane in an enterprise was really a machine-driven control plane, things like VMware, where the unit of operation is all about a machine. If you want an IP address, it's for a machine. If you want a storage uh, a volume, uh, it's, a, it's a volume for a machine. Uh, if you want to secure something, you are securing a machine. Um, that's not really what is actually critical to a business if you think about it. Um, so what is important for a business? It's their application assets. And so when people start thinking about applications as the first class citizen, as you as you kind of put it out in your question, um, you realize that you need a different kind of control plane that focuses on application components and not machines. And that's really where Kubernetes comes in. It is about, um, you know, uh, orchestrating not machine infrastructure. So unlike things like, you know, a chef or a puppet or even VMware, Kubernetes is about orchestrating application com- components and actually the infrastructure needed to run application components. So in the Kubernetes world, um, you know, when you deploy an application, you get pod granular IPs, you get uh, an overlay network that's associated with your application stack. When you're securing something, you're securing your pods, you're securing your application components. And uh, the other thing is modern applications are complex enough that it doesn't make sense to describe them in the unit of a machine. If you take a look at some of these distributed applications that 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 run in the data center. Um, take an example of somebody doing um, message processing, um, you know, like a Kafka, for example. They um, are uh, easily running as uh, half a dozen containers running on half a do- dozen different systems. So the notion of an application has broken outside of the construct or con- uh, confines of a machine, and so you need to think of things differently. And that's where containers and container-based technologies come in, and it's it's really important for any CIO or CTO to to pay attention to what what is happening over there. Mm. Okay, yeah, I really love that machine-centric view versus um, application-centric view, and that's something I, I've seen as well. I've I've seen the market really shift where you know it was all about capex and purchasing as many devices and pieces of hardware that you could, and also going with the, the best of breed and not always the most expensive one, but going with the one that had the best name and delivered the, the most quality. So it's it's kind of a virtual world that we're living in right now. So I guess in your opinion, what, what is the best way to protect, let's say individual containers or groups of containers or the entire Kubernetes namespace? Right, right. No, it's a good question. And and so, you know, data protection and backup uh, have become um, obviously re- really important things to consider as Kubernetes enters mainstream production, right? So you can't, you cannot roll out your application infrastructure, whatever the technology it's based on, whether it's machine centric or application focused, you always need, um, you know, your day two, day three um, uh, technologies, back backup, business continuity, data protection. These are thoughts that, um, you know, we, uh, our customers ask us all the time. Uh, even before it gets to backup, right? One of the fundamental challenges to solve in Kubernetes is how do you provide, um, you know, application-aware high availability? So forget forget having to go to a backup. Uh, your compute instances can fail, and so what if Kubernetes needs to move application components or containers around from one machine to another? Right. 
can that container continue to get access to the data that it needs, right? So mm -hmm. this kind of high availability is one of the fundamental problems that needs to be solved when you're rolling out um, enterprise applications in Kubernetes. And, and that has been one of the things that Portworx as a company has focused on. But equally important, obviously, are the uh, DR uh, scenarios where you need to be able to provide um, basic DR capabilities to your Kubernetes cluster. So um, an example, if you're running in the public cloud, um, and let's say you were to lose a, an availability zone, can your applications continue to run in the uh, in, a, in other availability zones with access to the data that they need? So these kind of failure scenarios need to be thought of. Also, uh, we find that customers are not just running one huge Kubernetes cluster, they're managing fleets of Kubernetes clusters. And to be able to do uh, DR between those clusters in the event of an entire cluster going down, maybe a botched upgrade at the control plane layer, how do I make sure that my applications can continue to run in a, in a in the surviving Kubernetes cluster? These are all mission critical uh, things. The question you asked is how how should people think about this? Um, it again, it really isn't as um, simple as um, you know you leveraging existing backup and DR technologies because uh, again, nothing nothing wrong with existing backup products, but they're designed to going along with my machine uh, control plane versus uh, application control plane um, theory. Um, existing backup technologies are designed to back up a machine. And that really doesn't make sense here because if you think of Kubernetes, um, you're running Kubernetes in a multi-tenant environment. And at any given point in time, what, so, you know, quote unquote, a machine is running multiple containers from completely unrelated namespaces and applications. So does it even make sense to back up that machine? Because what are you backing up? It's a, it's a point in time representation of something that you may not want to restore. So you need to think about this differently. And um, here, um, backups in Kubernetes now become a top-down construct, which is you're backing up either an application deployment or a namespace, which involves protecting the multiple containers that are running on different uh, instances um, with point in time consistency. So, so think of it this way, there, there are you know, um, many worker nodes, uh, which are uh, your compute workers that are running containers from many, many different namespaces. And at any point in time, um, a namespace getting uh, backed up involves it having a point in time consistent you know, snapshot, so to speak, taken of that namespace uh, without perturbing other namespaces during that backup uh, schedule. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a different way of uh, thinking of backup. Um, the other thing that's very different here is that um, unlike your typical backup administrator, um, Kubernetes, the control plane and the users of it are really application owners. So the person or the persona of somebody that's most likely interacting with the application lifecycle, meaning the backups and the restores, is not a backup admin. It is mm -hmm. an application owner. So the user experience of the UX and the and the grammar by which you are designing the backup and restore and the lifecycle management to happen is not for a backup admin. It has to be developer friendly. It has to be application owner friendly. And if you think we're even close to being finished dropping data protection knowledge gumbo listeners, we have more insight in store for you as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsors. 
Cloud Casa from Catalogic is the smart home in the cloud for container backup. We believe that you shouldn't need to be a storage infrastructure or data protection expert to backup and recover your Kubernetes clusters. So we've made it easy with no cost, no equipment, and no complicated installation. With Cloud Casa, you can natively protect all of your Kubernetes resources and all your cloud application data on-premises or in any cloud. Utilize unlimited policy-driven container storage snapshots on persistent volumes and resource data to Cloud Casa's secure storage at no cost. To get started, visit cloudcasa.io where you can sign up, register your Kubernetes clusters, set up your backup policy, and then sit back knowing your data has a good home. Cloud Casa from Catalogic, a smart home for protecting your cloud data. Visit cloudcasa, that's C-A-S-A dot I-O to learn more. Tagu, we're back in. And before the break, you were discussing that before it gets to backup, one of the fundamental challenges to solve in Kubernetes is how do you provide application-aware, high availability and disaster recovery for Kubernetes, especially if the application components or containers are moved around from one machine to another. And for the rest of this episode, let's get into your view of the storage landscape and what's your outlook on non-containerized storage. Our view is that there needs to be an intelligence layer that actually runs inside of the Kubernetes control plane that is sort of bringing storage level intelligence or elevating storage level intelligence to the application owners, to the Kubernetes control plane. So existing storage technologies, they're not going to go away, right? Ultimately, everything needs to live and sit on a disk, right? Whether it's media, NVMe, SSDs, um, you know, th th those technologies, um, you, this, this, this storage layer or, or storage overlay needs to be able to leverage those existing storage technologies in, in an appropriate way. And what I mean by appropriate is in a way that it makes sense to the application owners, in a way that it makes sense to the applications that are consuming that storage. I'll give you a small example. Um, you're, let's say you're running a um, you know, distributed database um, like Cassandra. You're running Cassandra inside of Kubernetes. Well, what does your Cassandra application look like, right? Or application stack or your Cassandra deployment, sorry, look like? It could be a couple of different containers that um, represent the different shards of your Cassandra database that are running on different systems. Now, at this point in time, you decide you want to take a snapshot of your Cassandra deployment. Well, that involves snapshotting maybe a half a dozen different Cassandra containers running on half a dozen different systems at the same time. So this intelligence layer or the storage overlay needs to be able to coordinate such a simple lifecycle event or that snapshot event uh, by doing the right thing. However, it talks to the backend storage to do it, or maybe it coordinates it. But this layer needs to exist that allows for, um, you know, container-based technologies to run stateful services. You know, that your answer right there was, was spot on. I, I was thinking right along those lines, and I, I hope the Gumbo listeners also, um, that it cleared up whatever misconceptions that they had. What are you doing, I guess, uh, from a port work perspective around addressing, let's say, that gap between the, the old and the new world of data protection with Kubernetes? Yep. Yep. So look, uh, you know, Portworx, we were sort of started alongside the Kubernetes project and our whole role 
was to enable stateful service orchestration and data lifecycle management in the Kubernetes control plane. So Kubernetes, what it does is it, you know, the reason it's so popular is because the grammar associated with Kubernetes, right? Uh, All of the objects that you take to describe an application stack, this notion of a pod spec and and the way of describing your application and the components um, that your application um, relies on, things like ingress controllers, load balancers, uh, networking configuration, security configuration, your, the storage requirements, all of the assets that it takes to define an application. It, it, Kubernetes does a really good job in defining that grammar in a way that it makes sense for an application developer. Um, you know, you can tie it in easily to modern DevOps techniques like GitOps and so on. Where Portworks comes in is to translate that grammar into the actual data lifecycle management implementation in the back. Um, Our vision is to draft behind Kubernetes, let Kubernetes expose that um, interface, the user interface layer to to the application developer. And we sit behind Kubernetes and whatever Kubernetes is trying to do and how it's trying to orchestrate the application, Portworks will make sure that the data services that the application relies on um, will, will, will exist wherever Kubernetes is trying to bring up different application components. Alongside with that, our job is to make sure that we can continue with the data lifecycle as well, even post the application um, uh, having been deployed. So what do I mean by that? Uh, well, when an application uh, needs to be brought up, it's one thing. Your application spec will say what kind of storage you need, um, you know, how your application is composed, and you can start running it. But as an application starts running, um, as we know with storage, things can go wrong. Disks can fail. IO latencies can be introduced. Um, you may run out of capacity. And so how do you deal with all of these uh, runtime events? And that's part of the storage overlay logic or layer that Portworx offers. It really is to um, allow for these production applications to run without problems, without think problems like a disk failure or capacity being, um, um, you know, running out of capacity, or even things like the IO blender problem, where you have multiple containers competing for the IO at the same time. Um, how do you um, handle that gracefully? And that's the runtime element of things. And then comes in the day two operations, which are your, um, you know, how do I deal with backups? Um, uh, Where do I keep the backups? What if somebody needs to restore an application stack from a backup? How do you handle that? All of that is, um, I think, uh, first of all, independent of Portworks, it's it's front and center to any, uh, uh, you know, application architects. This is what they're thinking of, how they, you know, these are the things that they need to solve for. And ultimately, it becomes a concern at the, you know, the CIO, CTO layer at, a, at, at any company, whether it's a bank or uh, automobile or industry or any of these companies, as they're putting these container-based platforms, um, let's just call it container-as-a-service platforms, they need to think about these runtime scenarios and then the backup and DR scenarios. Okay, yeah. One thing that, that stood out, I, I had a flashback when you were mentioning uh, swapping out hard disk drives and just dealing with the infrastructure issues of, you know, bad disks, et cetera. And at, at one point, that, that, was a, that was a full-time job for like a storage admin or something, right? Or even a backup admin. I, I also read a very concerning trend, which, you know, more people are going without a job for longer periods of time. And there's about 6.5 million workers that have been un- unemployed for 15 to 26 weeks. 
guess I want to know what advice would you give to, let's say, a backup or a storage admin that's out of work right now and trying to remain relevant in the industry and at least get noticed in this tough job market? Yeah, you know, first of all, I, I you know, my heart goes out to uh, those those people that are in that uh, situation. Um, it's you know what what I what I would recommend, I guess, is um, it w- what I think what I would look for, and I think what customers, what um, uh, other businesses are looking for, um, is is this notion of being able to. Uh, provide whatever, uh, you know, this is, I think, more than just backup, but whatever um, uh, technology that somebody is responsible for, being able to provide it as a, as a service, something that end users can consume on their own. So, the, so look, the idea behind any of these container-based technologies, the larger theme here is this notion of cloud-native technologies, right? So what's, what does that mean? And to me, um, you know, the, the cloud is, is not is not a place. It's not just Amazon or Microsoft. It's a way of doing things. It's a way of running your business. And it, and it could be all on-prem. And I would still consider that cloud native if it followed certain um, uh, principles. Uh, one of those is this notion of self-service. Does your end user have to, you know, open an IT ticket or interface with a storage admin or a backup admin or, or a networking admin to deploy their applications, well, then that's really not that cloud native. But if they can do things programmatically and say, you know, here's my application stack and somehow the infrastructure reacts to it and and, and brings up the nest and provides the necessary resources to run the application, and I can quickly iterate on it and make changes on the fly without talking to a human, well, that's more cloud native to me. Now, to bring it to your question, the more that these IT personnel can uh, facilitate or foster building such an infrastructure, they start becoming more relevant. This is what I think our customers are looking to build. They're looking to move to cloud-native approaches so that they don't have an IT ticket in the way of their development and application deployment process. And any IT staff that can provide or help build and foster such an environment start becoming very valuable. That is definitely great advice. Um, I, I, I can definitely um, understand that one. And it's it's definitely something that I've seen as well. And just kind of rolling into the, the closing uh, gumbo question, Goo. Um, and, and this is a question that, that it's very unique. And I, I ask every guest that appears on Data Protection Gumbo. Um, so I, I think we'll have a little fun with this one. So what makes you frustrated or angry enough that you would consider standing in front of a data center and protesting about it until there's change? <laughs> um, I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know that there's something that polarizes me that much that I protest. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing that does keep coming up to me uh, or, or keep striking me as, as uh, something people should um uh, pay a lot more attention to, and this is not necessarily just for the data center. I'm kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, using your your question a little bit more broadly, and 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 in any kind of cloud native technologies, cost is something that I think people don't necessarily appreciate upfront. Like, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, if they've architected their cloud, uh, you know, cloud platform poorly. Uh, how cost can creep in. And, um, you know, this is especially true in the public cloud. Um, I've seen some poor practices around leveraging, um, you know, data services incorrectly. 
and then ending up with a very large bill. So just taking into account how you want to actually manage your cloud platform and, and the resources it consumes, um, that needs to be thought through a little bit more um, holistically and, and thoroughly. And this is especially true with cloud native technologies because look, you're, the, the reason you're putting together such a platform is to foster agility. And with agility means people are doing a lot more things a lot faster. Um, they're doing a lot more things a lot faster. Guess what? They're also consuming a lot of things a lot faster. And so that bill can start adding up. Um, having the right technologies to keep track of that is is, is one of the things that's important. Um, I guess more uh, holistically speaking, it's not just cost. It's just keeping um, keeping keeping your uh, um, you know and uh, your eyes out for the fact that cloud native platforms tend to grow a lot more quickly because of the what it's intended for. It's intended to allow for such growth, but um, it, are, it, uh, do you have the necessary infrastructure? in place to to cope with that kind of growth just think through that i'm definitely sure that the gumbo listeners also uh, stepped away with some takeaways as well so i really appreciate you appearing on 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 the gumbo so uh, you have a fantastic week and until next time thanks for having me demetrius and thanks to your audience um we'll talk soon thanks everybody Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.